Welcome to Free Popcorn. This week's episode, we're doing a Kansas City shuffle here. It all starts with a horse. We're talking about Lucky Number Seven, one of my uh, favorite movies. If you listen to our first podcast, um, where we talked about the island, desert island movies, um, this was on my uh, five five movies that we had there. Um, and if you're wondering who I am, my name is Cody Holsey, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Goodcat himself, Ryan Meadows. How are you doing? <laughs> no one has ever taken my picture before. And if well, they have, they are in the ground. That is how you are able to do the jobs that no one else will take. <laughs> so, uh... This week, like I said, we're talking about Lucky Number 11. We're going to go through it. We've got a little bit of an outline here. Um, you know, you'll you'll see what we talk about. But basically, we're going to talk, you know, just kind of have a discussion about the movie a little bit. Talk about the best scenes, best quotes. Um, and then anything we, you know, thought was kind of sketchy um, in the movie. And, uh, yeah, so that's what the podcast is going to be. So if you have seen this movie, great. If not, I'd encourage you to go watch it before we talk about it because probably ruin it for you if you haven't major spoiler alert yeah major spoiler alert big facts spoilers spoilers are coming so hang out and we will uh, begin here shortly this is gonna be a lot of fun because i know we all have thoughts uh, but just a little facts about lucky number 11 came out in 2006 Directed by Paul McQuigan, who, not really too much known about him, hasn't done too much. He worked previously with Josh Hartnett on Wicker Park. I don't know if y'all have particular feelings about Wicker Park. I've personally never seen it, but I know it is a known movie that people would know anyways. Writer was Jason Smilovich, who wrote War Dogs. Uh, That movie with Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, which was super entertaining. Interesting fact about him, Josh Hartnett actually lived with him while he was writing this movie. Oh, little fact. And he ended up, yeah, and he ended up writing Josh Hartnett, uh, that scene where he's wearing the towel, he ended up writing that scene because he just, Josh Hartnett was always walking around in a towel. This movie overall has mixed reviews. Uh, You have critics that hate it, and you have critics that love it. Uh, I don't know if... The budget and the gross numbers point to anything, maybe for us, but estimated $27 million budget did $22 million in the U.S., $56 million worldwide gross. So not an absolute blow-away success, would you say, Cody? Uh, no. It is not Fast Five, for sure. Now, this movie description for it, I think, is pretty grabbing i think you would choose this if you just read this uh a case of mistaken identity lands slevin into the middle of a war but being plotted by two of the city's most rival crime bosses now cody with the trailer this is like a top five trailer don't you think oh it's a fantastic trailer like you know you have the, uh, the, you know, you have all these people in the movie. You got Stanley Tucci and you got Morgan Freeman and Ben Kingsley and Josh Hartnett and uh, Lucy Liu. Bruce Willis, like <laughs> Lucy Liu. Yeah, like it's just a, it's all people you know, especially at the time that it's coming out too. Like, like Lucy, I, I was very familiar with Lucy Liu's work because like Charlie's Angels came out in like what two thousand three or something like that, and like that was always on cable. Right. So like I just that's how I knew who Lucy Liu was. But anyway. The, like, the trailer, like, just all the stuff that goes on in the trailer, like, just, like, seeing all the people that are in this movie, like, immediately it grabs you and you're just like, oh, wow, I need to, let's figure out what this is about. Yeah, I, when I watched the trailer again last night, it's completely different feeling than what the actual movie is. Like, yes, oh, yeah. you, you, you can, after you've seen the movie, you watch the trailer and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's that, you know, this is what's going to piece together. But in the trailer, you're just like, hold on a second is this like going to be the best movie of the decade? Mm-hmm. Like it's a very, Absolutely. it's a very, very good trailer, which I think leads into a little bit of the disappointment from people when they mm-hmm. actually watched it. 
Because if we break it down, it really is a movie about just mistaken identity, right? Mm -hmm. And mistaken identity movies aren't really supposed to tip their hand on, you know, guessing the whole movie within the first 20 minutes. And This movie really winks at you quite a bit. Well, I I also think, too, like the way that... uh the way that storytelling and stuff is done now, like if they were to redo this movie, like they wouldn't show the story at the beginning until like the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. Now, I don't feel like, I don't feel like you get that whole flashback, like right at the beginning. I feel like you get that at the end because if you, you know, when I watched it the first time I was like 19 or something and it was on my computer and I wasn't paying like that much attention, but like, it's like, Oh, this is a really interesting movie. I don't really need to understand what's going on. And then now like, if I watched it like today, I'd watch that opening sequence and I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tried to go back to when I first watched it in 2008, I think, 2008, 2009. And I do remember that feeling of this can't be this straightforward. Chad did the same thing when we watched it together. Within the first 20, 30 minutes, he basically had all the pieces of who everybody mm-hmm. was. Now, he had one or two things. One was a shock, and then one was a different thing, like he might mention with Lucy Lou here in a little bit. But I remember having the same feeling that it was so overtly in your face who people were mm-hmm. that you yeah. thought there's no way. And so you start to overthink. Now, I don't yep. know if you think that was intentional by the writer and director, but after watching it twice, it doesn't feel intentional. <laughs> like, it feels yeah. like well, it was more style over mm-hmm. that actual thing. Like, they tried to get as many different kind of styles and movie, you know, filmmaking in the movie instead mm-hmm. of an actual, like, weaving in and out plot story. I don't know if that seems... We, we'll probably talk more in depth about that later, but mm-hmm. Chad, I mean... You mentioned, because obviously you're our film professional, how many different styles of shots did you see in this movie? I mean, there was cuts, there was slides, there was, you know, transition. There was a ton of stuff in there. What was yours? To me, this movie's a lot of style over substance. Um, A lot of the issues I had with the movie is its predictability. You can kind of go through and track what it's going to do before they, they do it. A lot of the choices they made, uh, at the time probably seemed fun and cool, but when you go back and rewatch it, it makes me feel like the movie's a little hollow. There's not a whole lot substance to it. Um, so the fact is, you know, a lot of the, the choices and a lot of the set deck and all that, it's just mostly style, um, the editing and all that. So personally, it's not my preferred type of movie um i refer something with a little more uh a little more oomph to it but the uh the style is what they they focused heavily on especially getting all those actors um and that's kind of what that movie feels like to me for me i i do think it's an enjoyable movie like i will watch it now it's probably not my first go-to but the reason i watch this is for the actual where they spent their budget the heavy hitter actors, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. watching this movie. I don't really have an affinity for Josh Hartnett, but I do have a real affinity for Morgan Freeman. <laughs> oh and, yeah. Uh, I'm watching it to watch Morgan Freeman, you know, interact with Slevin, talk to Mr. Good cat, you know, Ben Kingsley as the rabbi to hear him. He has this kind of like weird accent. I don't know if he always talks like That's that, great, though. but it is, no, he's British. It is great. Um, and then Stanley Tucci, who I feel is criminally underused in this movie. Uh, Stanley Tucci is a national treasure. It is a national treasure. He's he's excellent in <laughs> almost everything he's in, and like this movie, he's good too. But like he could definitely have gotten a few more shots up. I think. Now I don't know if y'all. I'm definitely not an authority on Josh Hartnett and his movie career. Uh, but I was curious as to why it felt like for a stretch there in the early 2000s that he was kind of like the next big thing. And it just never mm-hmm. really happened. So I kind of looked at why, you know, why that was. 
So his movies from 2001 to 2007, six-year frame here, movies that you'd recognize, Pearl Harbor, which I pretty big movie, uh, Black Terrible Hawk film. Down. Great movie. <laughs> Terrible film, but, you know, Black Hawk Down was good. Wicker Park, don't know if anybody really seen Wicker Park, but it's considered, you know, a bigger movie. Uh, Sin City. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Black Dahlia. Mm. And obviously this movie, Lucky Number Eleven, and then Thirty Days of Night, which was like a zombie movie, you know, right when mm-hmm. that was starting to kick off. So he tried, but he just never really got there as a superstar. I mean, I don't know if anybody's an authority of Josh Hartnett in here. Probably not, but Cuddy, what I think I have a reason why he didn't emerge, but allegedly it was just the cocaine and hookers. So he is a big cocaine and hooker guy? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. That's why I said allegedly. <laughs> just I, made that up. I don't know. So I I was trying to come up with a reason. It's probably just the mountains and mountains of cocaine. Well, <laughs> Chad, you know, like you said, half the movie he's walking around a towel. Is the reason he wasn't a superstar because he wasn't really like quote unquote hunky enough? Like you, well, he's walking around a towel. He, you know, kind of looks like an average person. Like he's not. I just he's like not to point chiseled. Out. You know, he's not muscular. He's, he's in a towel for like ten minutes worth of the movie. Okay, well, it's a little more than that, but sure. It's not half the movie. It's like the first twenty minutes of the movie <laughs> total. I have it on behind me. It's been on for like it's been on for twenty four minutes. Well, Chad, just is he is he hunky enough to be a superstar? Or do you think that doesn't matter? I don't know if it has to do with the fact that he's not very hunky. I mean, uh, Brad Pitt in the early 90s, you know, Fight Club wasn't a huge, massive, you know, beef boy kind of guy. But... I mean, he's shredded. Josh Hartnett definitely isn't your stereotypical uh, heartthrob shredded. You know, he was more of just like a heartthrob. He wasn't more of a, a handsome, you know, leading man or anything. I think it was just personally the fact that for a string of movies there, especially after Slevin, he picked a lot of weird movies that didn't really go anywhere. Um, so I'm not sure if it's his agent or if it's him just picking bad scripts, but I think he just never really picked a great winning script that led to uh, worldwide popularity and fame. Bad, bad agent. He's in that Penny Dreadful show, isn't he? That's like on Showtime or Cinemax. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's in that. Yeah. Yeah, he's like one of the main people. People like that show. That one's got a pretty good cult following. I don't know if you agree with this, but looking at other movie stars who were established, but really took off as a mega superstar during this time, that I think maybe he did have the fortune of just picking a better movie or had a better agent, quote-unquote, like we said, but it's Matt Damon. Matt Damon's run through the exact same time with Josh Hartnett. They're kind of like side-by-side to me at this point. Like, Josh Hartnett is starting to rise. Matt Damon's starting to rise. Yeah, he had, you know, Goodwill Hunting, which was a better I was going to say, Matt Damon has, like, a much... A much- much stronger like start than Josh Hartnett as far as movies he's in. Right, but you wouldn't say that Matt Damon was a superstar. Matt Damon becomes a superstar during the same period that Josh Hartnett mm-hmm. is trying. Like he has the whole Born series during that same six year period, the Ocean's Eleven series. I mean, he does the Departed. It seems just like Josh Hartnett was supposed to be that guy, and it didn't break for him that way that it did for Damon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we remember Matt Damon and we're always kind of like, oh, yeah, that's that guy in the mid-2000s who was like a teenage heartthrob for a few years. But the guy couldn't really do anything else or act. I don't know if that's fair. How do you feel about his acting in this movie, Cody? Josh Hartnett? I yeah. mean, I feel like he's he's serviceable as the character that he's supposed to be. You wouldn't say he's too over the top or... Nah. I think he's I think he's fine. He's not like uh I mean, he's not Morgan. He's definitely like I mean, if you watch those scenes with like all these other actors, I mean, he's not like he's not necessarily getting like blown off the screen by him, but he's not really, you know, he's not If the if these guys if they're if the 
people he's on screen with, if they're, like, in a competition for acting, he's not winning any of the scenes, but he's also not, like, he's not getting run off the camera. What would you rank him as? Would he be in the top three of the acting in this movie, or is he solidly four or five? Um, I would say he's probably, like, four or five. I mean, like, you got, like, Morgan Freeman and Ben Kingsley, I, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, are the two best performances in the movie, I think. Agreed. I think you could also, like, uh, you could also make the argument that, like, as far as, like, what they're supposed to be, like, Lucy Liu does a pretty good job. Like, I feel like the way that they per- portray her, by the end, at least, you kind of care about whether or not she lives or dies. Bruce Willis doesn't do a whole lot in this movie, which I think is, that was one of the things when I first saw, started watching the movie, I was like, oh, Bruce Willis is in this, that's cool, because, like, I was really into, Di- I was like, I had just watched, like, all the diehards again when I watched it the first time, <laughs> and so I was like, ah, oh, Bruce Willis, I love this, and then he doesn't do quite as much as I, th- like, he's not, he's usage rate is small in this movie it's not not (laughs) not not real high he's not in every scene he's not you know doing he's not no it's not an over-the-top performance very understated very subtle yeah so i'd say you got like morgan freeman ben kingsley probably lucy Liu, tooch you got to put tooch in there he's you know he's excellent as (laughs) brokowski which is just a great cop name like it's so this movie is like more like like like, I will agree with Chad that it is more, like, style over substance. Like, at, at the end of the day, the plot is, like, pretty simple um, once you know what's going on. It's just, it's one of those movies that I feel like, at least to me, it, like, is kind of, like, winking at you the whole time. Like, it's let it knows it's letting you in on the secret. Right. And it's just, like, this is just kind of supposed to be fun. It's, it, it's, um, did either of you ever watch Boy Meets World? No. Okay, well, I was going to use a reference from there, but I'm not going to. But it's got, like, kind of those... It's got this... There's an episode in that where they, like, go back in time, and they're in this, like, old-timey bar, and everybody's, like, all these different, like, crazy characters, and, like, one guy's a detective. And it kind of reminds me of, like, that, like, kind of noir-style, like, feel that it has to it, where it's, like, this... It's a movie that's, like, it could be in any... You could... You can slide the decade, like, up or down on it. Like, I can't think of anything other than maybe cell phones that really, like, dates it as far as, like, when it's taking place. Um, And just, like, the style of, like, the mob bosses and all the different things that are going on in the movie. Like, I feel like you could put this movie in all kinds of different time periods and it would still... The main parts of the movie would still, like, hold up or whatever. So, I do think that the style of the movie is definitely something they are going for and... Um, some of the, like the way that the people talk and the names of the characters and stuff like that are definitely going to elicit like some vibes from, you know, different, different genres and things like that. And some of that stuff is stuff that I like, even though I know that it kind of takes you out of the overall, like immersiveness of the plot. Gotcha. Yeah. I, uh, we'll get into best quote here in a second. I, I, <laughs> I feel like we just spent like the first 20 minutes bashing it. And I don't, you know, I don't think that's entirely fair. Um, I don't even want to finish the podcast. <laughs> to be in Cody's top five. I mean, I've, I don't know how many times I've watched it. Probably three times this week, but I've seen it half a dozen times, and I've never turned it off. I actually like knowing what's happening because then I can look for other things to see if they all kind of line up. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in scenes and in our critics' corner. But let's get into some quotes here. I didn't have a ton of them because after watching it, this is probably not fair, after watching it a few times, some of the one-liners that have been written are kind of cheesy. But I do mm-hmm. like them. Oh, yeah. I do like them, though. Uh, I only have two real big quotes here. Or, no, sorry, three big quotes. And y'all can add on to them if you want, but... One of my top quotes is from Slevin when he's talking to Lucy Liu's character, and oh, I know exactly which one you're going with. And here. he's it's one of these <laughs> one-liners, you know, that he's talking about like a joke one-liner. And Lucy Liu, uh, he says he's going to give the boss gave him an ultimatum to you know make a decision on yes or no if he was going to do this job to kill Itzak the fairy, uh, and so he said. 
he tells Lucy Lou, I'm going to say the same thing any man with two penises says when his tailor asks him if he dresses to the right or to the left. And Lucy Lou says, what's, what's that? that? And then it cuts to Slevin in front of the boss, and he says, yes. <laughs> I think that's a great quote. Another quote that I like was from the very beginning with Mr. Goodcat talking to, uh, maybe I shouldn't spoil that that one, who that is, but uh, talking to the guy in the bench, um, he says, he's talking about, you know, the whole setup of the Kansas City Shuffle, the inciting incident, all that kind of stuff. And he said, mm-hmm. at least that's how it went with old Max, who wasn't so much as old as he was tired. Tired of being a dog without a day. Tired of waking up and finding his dreams were only dreams. But mostly, Max was tired of not having a front lawn. Which I think is a good That's quote a good because it's kind of like, you know, the American story. Like if you're if mm-hmm. you're down, if oh you're yeah, down in the dumps, you're trying this, you know, get rich quick scream because you just want to move on up. You want to have a better life for your wife and your child. You don't want to live in the, you know this one bedroom apartment in New York, and you know. It's just concrete and brick around you. So I I really like that because I totally get that sentiment. Maybe it's because I'm married with children now. Uh, Maybe back, you know, when I was a teenager probably didn't affect me as much. But I I relate more to that sentiment now. Um, And then my final one before, you know, if y'all have one or two, y'all can actually vote if you want to see which one of these is the best quote. But it's... Back when Slevin is talking to the boss again after he agrees to take the job to kill Itzak, and he's talking about, you know, how he should do it, the guards, all that kind of stuff, and Slevin says, I can't just walk through the front door, and Morgan Freeman playing the boss says, no, I thought you could use the back door, and then him <laughs> and, then him and Slevin just kind of look at each other. For a second, you know, silently, and then Slim's like, oh, oh, God, I get, oh, <laughs> I get it. Because <laughs> he was called Insock the Fairy because of why, Chad? Uh, because he was a fairy. <laughs> this is problematic. <laughs> That's the other thing about wings, this. This was right. dust. <laughs> this is the other thing about the movie. Probably couldn't say that kind of stuff or have that plot now today with how you know sensitive everyone are, is about movies. Uh, Cody, did you have another quote from this that stuck out for you? I did, um, and I'm pretty sure it's from. I, I'm having a hard time remembering exactly where it happens, but I'm pretty sure it's at the beginning because the guy's like, "Oh wow, that's a, that's a some story or whatever," and uh, Mr. Goodcat. Bruce Willis' character looks over and he goes, Charlie Chaplin once entered a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest in Monte Carlo and he came in third. That's a story. Yeah. And I just like, I just, I don't know why I always laugh every time I hear that line, that line because I don't, I mean, obviously it's a movie quote. I don't know if it's true or not, but I just like to imagine that Charlie Chaplin did in fact enter a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest and came in third, and I, that just makes me laugh hysterically every time I think I'm, about it. Like, it's I'm just pretty such a funny... sure. I'm pretty sure that's a true story. I don't think that's made up. Uh, Chad, that's such a funny thing to me. Chad, between these, all these quotes, which one is your favorite? Probably, probably Slevin to Lucy Lou. Just the because that did okay. take me by surprise when he said that, and then the editing too. It was clever how they they cut the editing together on that. That was a fun transitional moment. Yeah, I I think that's my favorite quote for the movie too. Although I I really uh I think that's the one that kind of stands out, you know, cuz there's a lot of little one-liner hits like that. But that was the one that stands out. There's another to me. one from Mr. Goodcat that's good too. Cuz Slevin's like, "How did you find out about us?" cuz he's talking about Lucy oh, Liu. Yeah. <laughs> and Goodcat looks like, "I'm a world-class assassin." Ed, <laughs> how do you think I found out? That is a good one. But let's get an actual best scene. Now, I don't have a ton of just standout scenes here. I do have more critic stuff because there's small things about this movie that kind of stick out to me now I've watched it a few times that not annoying, but I have questions about. And I would love to hear uh, explanations from, you know, the professionals. 
but the scenes I enjoy the most, I got two uh, two candidates here, really. Mr. Goodcat explaining what the Kansas City shuffle inciting incident was to the guy in the bus station at the beginning. I think that whole sequence is really good, even though it basically tells you what's going to happen for the next hour and a half. I really enjoy that scene. Maybe it's because it's a guy gambling on horse racing. I don't know. I feel like that definitely speaks. It to definitely you. preaches to me. You're, yep. you're, you're degenerate sensibility. <laughs> totally relate. I would never leave my child in the car while I go make a bet, but sure. Yeah, uh, that that I definitely would not see you doing. But. Frowned upon now, not frowned upon in 1979. Uh, still probably frowned upon in 1979. Maybe you just, never know. I mean, they're pro- just yeah. more degenerate, more less social media. You could get away with a little more. People wouldn't take pictures <laughs> of your kids sitting in the car. I feel while like you in 1970. I feel like in 1979 you could still smoke in hospitals. So I don't know. <laughs> you probably you could probably smoke in airplanes. No. Uh, the other one is any scene involving Morgan Freeman. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know yep. that encompasses a lot of scenes, but I think Morgan Freeman is throwing like 200 miles an hour in this movie. It's subtle, but it's very strong, and you just you love him as the boss. Now, Chad, I'll let you choose the best scene again. What is there a scene that we didn't mention that you prefer, or what's, uh, what's your top? One of my favorite scenes was actually uh, when Slevin or uh, Josh Hartnett is in the car with Stanley Tucci, and there's that kind of like Stanley Tucci involvement scene, and and because yes. that was one of the few things that I didn't predict. But going back and that, seeing that was some like of the, the scenes, big reveal. Yeah. yeah, going back and seeing some of the scenes, it makes sense, and you can actually track it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I just missed that. I didn't. I didn't piece that together. And once again, Stanley Tucci, natural national treasure. Um, so the two, the two of them, in that, I also have a bit of a love hate with that, just because a lot of the information is coming from a cop who we had never seen before, who calls Stanley Tucci is just like, "Hey, here's all the information." And so a part of me is like, "That's a little." I wish we could have had a little context for that guy beforehand, but it is still a good scene and it is a good reveal because, like I said that's one of the few things in the movie I hadn't predicted up to that point. So yeah, that was probably my favorite. That is the biggest reveal of the movie. Like you just do not expect that at all. And that's one of the things I right. really like about it. Uh, that is a great scene. I do like it with him being, uh, well, I won't drop the actual, what the thing is, but yeah. how it, per- how it pertains to Slevin's name. Critics Corner, my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> I get to ask you questions. You have to try to give me a rebuttal to them. So, first one is my first critique as you're watching this movie. What's with all the weird wallpaper? There seems to be an awful lot of really eccentric set pieces, and almost every mm-hmm. scene there is a really odd wallpaper. What in the world is the point of that besides just there is no point? Or it's the whole style over substance trying too hard. It's visually to. stimulating. Is it, though? I find it quite distracting. I don't know. I don't really pay that much attention to the wallpaper. But, like, yeah, there's, like, giant flowers on the wall behind me right now as the movie is playing. Yeah. Like, yeah. There is some sort of geometric shape in almost, not every scene, but almost mm-hmm. every scene in the background. A part of me, a part of me, feels like since the movie did have a smaller budget at twenty-seven million, they probably didn't have a huge budget for set deck and art department, and uh, it probably was just a, a smaller crew of people just kind of throwing things together. And uh, like you said, style over substance. They were just like, "What do you have that looks different?" Um, and they're like, "Well, I have a." crap ton of wallpaper that's been sitting in my house i need to use like perfect let's throw it on every wall um the the other one for me the the one that kind of tipped me off to how bizarre the the set decoration is is the uh the scene with the uh where they go to the the horse racing and the cars are all lined up and if you look at that parking lot there's no way the way those cars are lined up that any car could actually drive through that parking lot 
because they are <laughs> so close together that both as soon as he parks he is basically double parked and can't leave because there's so the other cars are in the aisle of where you would drive uh and to me that just says we wanted it to look cool we wanted it to have a bunch of cars so instead of doing what made sense and parking them in the actual spots we lined them up where the shot was and uh that's that to me is the whole explanation you need for your set decoration in this movie is let's just throw it there because it looks interesting it's visual stimulation but not because it makes sense <laughs> Uh, so, asking a professional, Chad, all of those were actual set pieces. There's no way that was were actual rooms in some, like, apartment or anything. They all hung that wallpaper themselves. I would probably guess that the room that is the boss's office is the same room that is uh, the rabbi's office. Just a set piece that they re redid. Because spatially, they look very similar. They're big open rooms with, you know, a staircase and whatever. So I, I feel like it was probably set pieces. Especially since we have the green screen shots of people outside. I doubt they were actually huge penthouse apartments. But if they were, then those are just the weirdest penthouse apartments I've ever seen. <laughs> Agreed. Now, next credit corner. Lucy Lou. Do we have any problems with her acting at all in this film, Cody? No. You think she's, she's right beyond on. reproach in this movie? Really? Yeah, she's great in this movie. Chad? Uh, I don't a know. Rebuttal? If it's a, I don't know if it's a problem with her acting or more so just the character. But to me, Lucy Liu serves really no purpose other than to just be somebody Josh Hartnett can sleep with, and and. I don't know what I expected from her, but I kind of wanted a little more than just, hey, I'm here to take pictures of Bruce Willis and stare at your junk. So <laughs> I can uh, I can tell you the purpose that she serves for sure. What is the purpose she serves? She's a she's you like she's the person watching the movie trying to figure out like what's going on. Like because if they just portrayed it from like Josh Hartnett's like point of view the entire time, like then you would just know what's going on from the jump, which, like, you can figure out, but Lucy Liu is, like, the stand-in, like, for the viewer as the person who's, like, I wonder what... Wait, Nick lives here. Like, where's Nick? You're not Nick. Why are you here? Like, setting up all... Like, she's she's there to, like, um, explain to you, like, this stuff is... What's going on is not normal. Like, this is, this is Nick's apartment. This guy is probably not Nick. He for sure isn't you like if they come and if if she's not in the movie and they just come and get him and they're like you're Nick Fisher and he's like no I'm not the whole movie you're like well, maybe he is and he's just not telling them I do but I but do if, agree but she's there and she I do agree that she is the vehicle to help it move along I feel like she's was written after the fact because they needed it all to blend together and to help distract from what was actually going on. So, like, the I remember right. from the first time I watched it, you do have doubts in your mind that Lucy Liu was maybe involved. Because you think this can't be this mm -hmm. straightforward. And Chad had that same feeling when he watched it. He said it outright. I can't wait to find out that she was working with whoever, you know. Uh, I do think she is... I think she was kind of written after the fact, if I had to guess. Because the movie just didn't move. And you just didn't guess really and she adds a little bit to it she does give the kind of romance story to it that i guess you need in a mobster movie <laughs> but i i don't think she's particularly awesome in this film and i'm not saying it's her fault because she obviously tries like she's trying to throw like morgan freeman like she's trying to be the top build cast here but it just doesn't work for me and I think that's partly because of the writing and the tough position she was put in to, you know, be in the middle of this, trying to figure it out, who done it, mistaken identity. Mm. And lucky for her, she was also a coroner. So, another one I have. So, Stanley Tucci, towards the end, you know, with our favorite big reveal, 
when he's walking to the car, when he's getting the phone call to find out all the stuff about the history, how does he not see Slevin laying down in the back seat? <laughs> okay. So I've thought about this a lot. It's not like the windows were tinted. Like it's an old classic car with crystal clear windows. I've thought about this quite a bit. Okay. And Slevin have a blanket over him? That's like that's the, so that's the only thing that I can come up with is that maybe he was like in the floorboard with like something over him so that you wouldn't be able to see him or like he's wearing like all like one like maybe he wore the same color as the upholstery in the car. I don't know. But like when I've thought about it, I like so initially I had the same problem, but the more I've thought about it, I'm like, hey, it's a movie, you know, if you think <laughs> too hard about if you think too hard about any movie, you can like just, you know, dissect them all. Right. But thinking about it, like how often when you go to your car, when you're just by yourself, like obviously if you have your kids and stuff with you, you got to get in the back seat and put them in or like, you know, you got some crap, you got to sit in the back seat. But how often when you get in your car, do you just like wonder if anyone's in my back seat and then hop in the car? Like, I don't feel like many people are just like constantly checking the back seat. Um, now I will say for me, every time I do get in my car at night, I, I get in the front seat and then I immediately turn around and look in the back seat. And I, it might be because of this movie, like that I'm subconsciously doing that. Yeah. I but agree. I'm always afraid that someone's going to like put a gun to my head and explain to me what thing that I did to slight them, you know, very early on in their life. And that they've been waiting, they've been planning their entire life after that to get revenge. So yeah, there's that. Okay. A good one. I, I, I'll accept that answer. Um, Another one I have, this is my second to last one here. Or no, I'm sorry, I got a couple more. We'll move through these pretty quick. This one's an easy answer. I think you can explain this one pretty easy. But Mr. Goodcat, top professional assassin as he says, the police say earlier in the movie that he's never been photographed before. But Lucy Liu was able to get a photo of him within the same day of his arrival, of Slevin's arrival. Is there an explanation for that? Is it because Super. that... Super everyone who got Lucy a pic- Lou? is it because of everyone that he that got a picture of him is currently in the dirt like how do you Let explain me- that away how a girl who was a coroner who just met this guy and saw his penis immediately just a few hours later was able to find out who Mr. Goodcat was and photograph him for being an all-world Let assassin me- Let me give this to you He does go to kill her true so theoretically that set that statement that anyone who has photographed him is either is dead and he's never been photographed by anyone else like that technically he's making good on that like in the movie you just you know spoiler alert she doesn't die so knew what was going on and knew it was going to happen and that and fixed it up where she wouldn't die but he so, does try to make good on that. Would, so maybe he knows he takes she takes a picture. Would you say that Mr. Goodcat is in fact not a very good assassin and just does terrible <laughs> yeah. things and ha- his body count has probably just exponentially grown because someone always finds him when he's you know or figures him out or fi- photographs him. That is him? definitely possible. I think in this specific instance, you know, it's just like if you're like his protege is Josh Hartnett in this movie. He's been with him since he was a child. Right. You you would think yeah, spoiler alert, sorry, if you're still listening to this and like you don't understand that like some of the things in this movie are gonna get spoiled, like I apologize. They'll but, be okay, they'll get over it. Yeah, you'll get over it. Yeah, maybe he does just get pho- maybe like the paparazzi maybe he's killed like hundred and seventy paparazzi. Like <laughs> people are just taking pictures of him left and right. Like somebody's got like can you imagine being him in the air in the era of camera phones? Mm. Like you gotta think just based on like being in the background of camera phones and Instagrams alone, he's probably killed at least a hundred and like a hundred and eight, probably <laughs> probably girls taking selfies or you know different people taking selfies in an airport well that's how lucy Liu got him you know she got him with a camera phone pretending she was calling somebody so maybe it's yeah. just because she used such a simplistic method whereas cops go for the actual telephone yeah. lens well and you know, you know 
this is early on in the camera phone era, so people aren't used to people taking pictures with their phone all the time. I mean, I know that I'm pretty sure when I had a camera phone, I had slyly taken a picture of something or somebody doing something crazy out in public without actually hold. You can't see me, but I'm holding my phone in front of me like it's a camera instead of, you know, you put it up to your ear and you turn and, you know, you face them and then you click it. So maybe... Maybe it was a new enough technology, and maybe it was a technique that Mr. Goodcat hadn't seen, because he seems like someone from the past, so maybe he's still thinking that people are using rotary phones. My final critics corner, which this isn't really critical of the movie, it's more critical of a character that isn't very long in our life. This might seem kind of rough, but I do want to spend like a couple minutes on this because I'm truly intrigued by this. It's the Max being a bad father dilemma. Uh, Max, totally as you know, Max, as you know, is the father to Slevin, who at the beginning of the movie uh, places a large bet on a fixed horse race called a drugstore uh, special. Is that no drugstore drug handicap? handicap called a drugstore handicap and it was just a fixed horse so he went goes to a bookie loans a large sum of money that he cannot afford and then the horse lost and that's this starts the entire story of the movie this is this is the whole movie right here is max thinking he's got a sure thing to bet on goes out to a bookie loans way too much money more than he could pay and it basically destroys his entire family's life so max is a bad father chad (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah uh max is a, a pretty bad father um leaving his son in the parking lot of a of a horse track uh to go in and make a huge bet and then uh at least I will say when he comes out, he is yelling for his kid. He is, his first thought is, oh, I need to get to my son immediately. So he does have moments where, you know, there's potential to be a good dad. But I think ultimately, yeah, Max is a good father. And even his wife knows it because the last thing she says to them is make sure to bring him back uh, or make sure he doesn't stay out too late. And he goes, yeah, I know. And she goes, no, I was talking to your son. Yeah. So I think that's that's immediately a cue that this guy's kind of uh, degenerate and that uh, he's a bit of a bad father. So definitely has nights where he stayed at the bar too long when he because he's so downtrodden with his life that yes. he just kind of leaves Max and the mom right goes to the bar. Yeah, have to you know have to go find him. Cody, what do you think about? The whole Max being a terrible father. Oh, I agree. Um, you know, you've you've been to a casino with me, and you have seen my meager bets and how <laughs> I don't bet money that I don't have. Right. And even, I don't even bet all the money that I do have. I usually try to leave with at least some of the cash that I came with. I am usually not that, like, stingy with my money, but in a casino, I just hate giving it away basically so i definitely could see where gambling with a bunch of money that you don't actually have and having to get it from a sketchy dude in a basement somewhere um is probably not like he didn't go make the bet like with the like at the like horse racing place like he didn't go like to the guy like at the booth and the counter like through the the regular channels right not like going to the you don't go to the racetrack and like you know they have 400 booths set up where you can walk up and be like I want this 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 and this. He didn't do that. He went straight to like the sketchiest guy in the place. It's like I want to put I can't remember the exact amount of 20 large amount of money. 20 large. Yeah, 20 grand on a horse to win and then the horse breaks its leg, I think. Yeah, falls or something like that and then he ends up not not winning the bet is on the hook for twenty thousand dollars to this like scoop, super sketchy guy who's wearing like a visor. He's got glad I don't know. It's just like Danny Aiello. Yeah, yeah, the exact person that you don't want to owe twenty thousand dollars to is the person that he owes twenty thousand dollars to. And then you know that guy is being fine is getting his money from some other sketchier person. 
And then when the money gets, I don't know. There's just like the the amount of money that he bets on something that like he's not. I mean, he's sure of. But even when the even when he gets that information, it's it's he's the fifth person in this game of telephone on this horse. So, and he hears it from not even his first or second favorite uncle. (laughs) (laughs) So like, that's the thing. Like if, if my, like, you know, not top two uncle calls me and is like, Hey, I got this crazy bet for you. Yeah. You should go. Like, I would just be like, why don't you go place that bet? Yeah. And then like, if you win, We'll share it. I'll give you like half of the money that you put down if you win. But if you lose, it's all, like you know. I don't know. I wouldn't even probably do that. I'd just be like, "Why don't you do that? That'd be great for you." Cool. I have a job. Yeah, I. It, <laughs> um, I, it is a terrible thing what is done to the family just to send oh, yeah. a message, quote unquote. But Tooch is the worst. It's it entirely hinges on the fact that Max is a Debbie. Like this yeah. whole movie if he, and. The lives of all these people, it would be completely different if Max was just wasn't a deadbeat trying to get ahead. Yep. Get get rich quick scheme, and gambling yeah. is the worst way to do that. Believe me, I know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you try to get rich gambling, you're gonna not have a home. Now, finally, lasting memory. I'll do mine. The lasting memory I have of this movie is that it made me want to go back to the Kentucky Derby again. <laughs> uh, I I truly I speaking of degenerate deadbeat I haven't gone I worse. haven't gone in two years and I, before that I went like three straight years and I love the environment and like you said Cody it's like a madhouse at those betting boxes on the infield uh, because you know we're we know where we are in our life we're not in the st- high status seats you know with Tom Brady and the Patriots. We're down there in the middle of the track with the regular folk. So that, trying to bet in that pit is like what I imagined Wall Street is. Uh, you know, with the betting floor. It's, it's basically like that. You're just yelling and throwing cash and hoping your ticket's right. Uh, so my last favorite of this, I think it's a fun movie. Uh, I don't think you put it on a Pantheon type of top mobster movies. But I do think, you know, for the purpose of movie is maybe it's just because I'm getting older. Maybe kids kind of changes for me. But there was a time, you know, in college or high school where I would have probably been more critical of this movie. Uh, but now I've kind of switched more to of really do I enjoy it or not. And so I do enjoy this movie. So... I would recommend it to others just to see, even if you only see it once, you can tear it apart critically. That's fine. But I do think it's enjoyable and I would watch it for the A-list actors like Morgan Freeman, Bing Kingsley, Bruce Willis, Stanley Tucci. Chad, do you have a lasting memory for you? Uh, Yeah. Lasting memory for me is I'm actually going to go a little bit opposite of you. I think if I had seen this movie in high school, I would have loved it. Uh, Bruce Willis is one of my all-time favorite actors, so just seeing him in a movie would have just sold it to me as one of the best films. Um, Since going to college and since studying film and working in the industry, my opinions on movies have changed, and I think I look at the movie now more as a, a harsher critical eye just because I know what goes into it. Like we said, the things with style over substance, the weird wallpapers, you know, all that. I see that more now than I did in high school. So I think if I would have seen this movie when it first came out in 2006, that would have been sixth grade. I would have been 12. This would have been the coolest movie in the world. Um, and then now going back, I would have had nostalgia and, and a lot of, you know, enjoyment for it. Uh, but being the fact that I saw it now, you know, 14 years later, I'm 26. Uh, to me, it just didn't hit home like that. So I think I would have enjoyed the movie if I was younger. But now, after watching other movies that I feel like it was trying to rip off, uh, I don't think uh, it really lasted with me all that well. Cody, this was in your top five. I mean, I'm sorry if you don't feel so great about it right now, but 
you I get to ra- you get to wrap you, <laughs> you get to wrap us up with on your lasting memory for this movie. When I watched it, I was like the summer in between like college, like this. I, it was after my first year of college. It was that summer. Came back and like I had, I don't know, probably sixty movies on a hard drive. Uh, back in the wild, wild west days of like when I would torrent things and stuff, I've since cleaned up my act and i'm a law-abiding citizen when it comes to (laughs) movies and music thank you spotify and netflix um but it just like it reminds me of like when i used to just like go to my room i'd grab my laptop and like i would just literally sit and i would just watch movies like during the afternoon like i'd pick a movie off of it that i hadn't seen before like i wouldn't watch and this was one that like i remembered from like seeing the trailer for it when it first came out being like i really want to watch that and it's just one of my favorite movies. It's a fun movie to like watch with other people too. Like especially like it's it's super. It's either okay. There's two kinds of people when you watch this movie. There are people who just will roll along with it and will like just wait and try to figure out what's going on. Or there are people who will ask 170 questions within the first like four minutes of the movie, trying to get you to tell them what's going on. And when and it's really fun to watch movies with this, this movie with the second type of person and just tell them no. Watch the movie. Um, and it reminds me of that because I remember uh, watching it at a friend's house, you know, Trey and David Shaley. Like, we were over at Trey's house, I think, and there were a bunch of people over there. And the whole time, everyone kept asking, like, what was going on. And, like, I think me and David were the only ones that had seen it. And we just kept our mouth shut the entire time and let everyone uh, watch it. And it was just fun to watch, like, the reactions of people, like, that weren't as clued into what was going on, like, as they're figuring it out. It's always fun to kind of watch someone figure out what's going on. Not that it's, like, crazy or it's, like, some, like, you know incredibly complex story or anything like that but if you're just like casually watching a movie and you're not like trying to, and you're not thinking about it too hard like you can you can kind of like get lost in a story and not uh not figure everything out if you're not thinking super critically from the beginning well that was lucky number 11 so that was the uh Love this movie. second of our free popcorns in a series of desert island movies up next we will have a movie off of Chad's Desert Island list. I don't know if he's made a decision on which movie. Hoping to God it's not Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time no, for that. It, it won't be Lawrence of Arabia because uh, I'm not as brave as Cody. If uh, you guys trashed it, I would be very sad at the corner <laughs> crying. So, if uh, he even showed up I'm, for I'm it, not, too. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not uh, choosing Lawrence of Arabia. I'm leaning currently towards... Nah, don't tell, don't tell. We um, won't tell. We won't tell. We'll keep it secret. Okay, never mind. Be paying attention to our feed. We'll be coming out with more free popcorn content. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Go watch the movie and let us know what you think. Thanks, Chad, for being here. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Cody, till next time, sir. Absolutely. It was wonderful to be here. I enjoy talking about things with you guys. As, as so, do we. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see y'all soon.